0: Hey, everybody. Uh, so glad that you are tuning into this video. Um, I'm Jay, as you know, and uh, here with my dear friend, Dave Tish, our teaching pastor over at South Hills. And uh, Dave also does 48 other things on our staff, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shaping our teaching culture and going to lunch with me when I ask him because I get lonely and he's my friend. Um <laughs> But Dave and I are so excited because, uh, yeah, I'm not the, I'm not the guest of honor here,
1: Jay. Oh no. Oh no. We we're excited.
0: (laughs) That's right. We're, we're so pumped because, uh, we've been telling you as we've been in this series called the unseen, what the Bible says about the supernatural. We we've said from the get go that there is just too much. There's too much. Wild stuff that's really important um, to be able to preach on in a 35, 40 minute sermon. So, uh, we told you that we would be spending some time chatting with um, the legend himself, Dr. Gary. Brashears. And so that's what you're watching right now. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar, Dr. Brashears is a professor at Western Seminary, was the chair of the department uh, for biblical and theological studies for many years. Um, He's a preaching elder at Grace uh, Church in Gresham, Oregon. He's the author of several books. And maybe most importantly, if you don't know Gary, he is a pastor to pastors. He has been a pastor to me, to Dave, He's been a pastor to pastors that you've read, names like John Mark Comer or Tim Mackey at the Bible Project. Gary is actually on the board of the Bible yeah. Project for many years. And um, he is one of the brightest theological minds I've ever known. And at the same time, uh, this is very rare for a high level, uh, world class academic to also be truly pastoral. And that is what Gary is so dr gary Brashears, thank you so much for joining us today
2: you forgot something really important jay okay really important. i'm a happy grandfather oh ah yes this
0: is true in the for, in the foreseeable Father.
2: future to be a happy great grandfather i thought oh my goodness not, i thought not in your future. that's exciting granddaughters that are like this
0: with the guys yeah. Okay. I thought book you were going to out. say oh
1: uh, he. He also was the uh, the impetus behind uh, the book we used last fall. Um, Doctor Bashir's was um, his. Yep. It was his material we turned into the Abraham series. So yeah, that's But, great. but then again, that. double grandfather is probably a more important <laughs> more important topic yep. for sure. Yeah. So one of the things we wanted to we're just going to kick off and we're just going to let you talk, uh, Gary. One of the first things I think I encountered because I was in your cohort at Western Seminary. And one of the first times we ever met, I remember we were out at Costa Mesa. Somebody had planned a dinner for all of us to come together. It was at a vegan restaurant, which was tragic. But it was really it was really good, actually. All I, remember I didn't was, pick it. Just to be clear, I didn't pick it. Somebody else did. And, and yeah. they never were allowed to pick the restaurant for the rest of the time. Um, but we're there. And right before the meal, I mean, we're just talking and getting to know each other, everything. And you had mentioned that. Um, you said, let's just stop and pray, because you'd just gotten an email from somebody. It was a ministry partner, someone you knew that worked in Africa, and they had some sort of um, kind of uh, some sort of ministry there, and there were some rebels advancing on their position, and you said, this is a spiritual attack. We need to start <laughs> start praying against these dark forces. Now, I, I was like, wait, what? Now, obviously... I would have said, oh, yeah, that's evil. But I would have said something like, there's some bad people about to do some bad stuff. I would have probably materialized it, you know. Why is it so important for us Christians to live with kind of an awareness of the supernatural dimension of evil? Um, And even as you talked about it, it felt jarring. I was like, wait, how is he talking about this? this bunch of rebels that have machine guns that feels physical, not spiritual. So why is it so important for Christians to live in that reality and, um, you know, to have an understanding of that?
2: I, I don't remember who it was. A pastor friend of mine uh, said, if you live next door to a dragon, you probably should pay attention to it. Mm. And we live next door to a dragon. Uh, His, his, I mean, there isn't a name, it's only titles for him, but Satan, dragon, uh, devil. uh, We actually don't know his name, and that's okay. May his name ever be forgotten because he's a bad guy. Mm -hmm. But we do live next door to a dragon, the serpent. And from the very beginning, Genesis chapter three, and I think it's actually before Genesis 1 1, uh, God and the serpent are in a battle for good and bad. And we were created. In a war zone. I think in Genesis chapter one, humans were created to be blessable, image-bearing covenant partners with the Lord of glory to overcome the dragon, overcome the serpent, overcome the chaos monster, whatever you want to call him, and his minions to use a popular title. Uh uh, and the way we overcome them is by doing good, by doing communities of faithfulness, love, justice, beauty, etc., cetera. Uh, but we are in a war. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 6. He says, we battle not flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers of darkness. He's got a number of names there. So in that particular episode, uh, it was a place that's it, in Democratic Republic of Congo, East Congo. Uh, it is indeed a spiritual battle going on there. And these are people who are, humans who have been taken captive by the evil one to do his will and they were being they were attacking because the people are attacking specifically were christians and doing the good that they were opposed to and they were coming in in the name of satan against people living in the name of jesus Mm. but i do believe that behind the curtain so to speak there are spiritual powers it's referred to all through scripture and we here in the West, being thoroughly trained in secular materialism, simply do not believe, do not see the spiritual realities. In fact, we don't really believe in God either, for that matter, uh, many of us, which is really ironic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. We, yeah, during week one of this series, we touched on the challenge of materialism and yeah. we live in, in, a world yep. in which if it's not physical if you can't measure it or weigh yep. it, then it must not be real. that's correct and yeah I think what you just said is so important that uh, we live aware otherwise if you if you walk to a war zone hold, holding a beach towel and frisbees, you're ill-equipped you know to to navigate yep. that yep. war zone um I want to ask you uh, we're going to get into all sorts of specifics here, Gary, okay. about the okay. devil and angels and demons yep. and all of that. Yep but i want to ask you maybe like a high level question and uh this this is one of the few questions we're going to ask that maybe isn't on uh the front of the mind you know it's it's not top of mind for most of our people cuz cuz most people are unfamiliar but it is really helpful and important and challenging um when most people a lot of people who go to church or have read the bible they're familiar with the tower of babel story right mm-hmm. uh and we think of it as kind of a simple story these people build this giant tower and then they have a bunch of languages and they disperse but actually a lot of scholars uh make a connection and you actually um agree with this sort of view of that story that the tower of babel story actually has very strong correlations and connections to the spiritual realm, and maybe, you know, what what Paul says in Ephesians 6 about the, yep. the powers of this dark world, you know? And um, so talk to us about that connection. Yep. What do you yep. think is happening at the Tower of Babel? And then what's the fallout of this dispersal of people uh, uh, at the Tower of Babel? Yeah.
2: Well, if I can share my screen here for a minute, because I yep. believe in looking at the Bible, I... <laughs> It's talking about the people have uh, they have bricks for stone, they have bitumen for mortar. They've got technological advance. They've got the iPhone 23, and they go to work with it. <laughs> yeah, so to speak. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower to the top to heavens. Let's say let us get our own access to heaven. Yeah. Let us make a name for ourselves, as opposed to having the Lord's name be our name. Hmm. lest we disperse dispersed over the face of the earth, let's stay together in unity around ourselves. And that was their agenda, was a selfish agenda. And the Lord came down and said, gosh, look at this. Uh, and he sees a riot going on. And in a riot, it's like nothing is impossible. So he says, let's disperse the riot. So it's what he does. And, uh, and they are now dispersed all over the face of the earth that's the that's the genesis 11 story i think that same story is referred to in deuteronomy 32 Mm. and i'll give credit to mike heiser who showed me this at first this is Abra. this is moses's last speech to the people of israel before they go into the land and he Mm. begins it with a uh, calling the heavens and the earth god's creation to be the judge And so he proclaimed the Lord, ascribes great to God, and it goes on and talks about God. Perfect, justice, faithful, just and upright. But the people are corrupt. So what will they replay God? He is the father who created you, established you. And then he says this, remember the days of old. So Moses is speaking this roughly 1500 B.C. And he's talking about the days of old from his perspective. So that's a good while prior to 1500 BC. Here's uh, ask your father, show your elders, they to tell you. I think he's referring back to Genesis 11. I'll show you why. The most high, that's Yahweh, of course, gave to the nations their inheritance. He divided mankind, fixed the borders of the peoples. That's Genesis 11. Mm. The Most High developed the nations, divided them, fixed their borders. That's the dispersal of Genesis 11. He dispersed them according to the number of the sons of God. Mm. And then it picks up, he found his own people in the desert. That's Abram, I think Genesis 12. But he fixed the borders of people according to the number of the sons of God. And the sons of God is a way to refer to angelic beings. We find that in Job, for example. Now, I need to point out something here that's a textual issue. This is the ESV, English Standard Version. If I go to the NIV, it represents what's in the Hebrew text, and it has here the sons of Israel. Hmm. But I stop and think, now, in in the days of old, when did Jacob's 12 sons ever rule over the nations right this makes no sense Hmm. so if you and this is a footnote in niv and asv the sons of god is not in it's not in the hebrew text but it is in the dead sea scrolls text and it's also in the septuagint the greek translation of the bible so this is an ancient textual variation and sons of god makes sense Hmm. uh sons of israel makes no sense because they never ever were ruling over the nations but i'm suggesting to the sons of god were let me just show you real quick where i see this first kings chapter 11 solomon my famous question good guy bad guy neither (laughs) both yeah cracked from the beginning (laughs) <laughs> uh, don't enter into marriage with these other guys because they will turn your heart away after their gods. Mm. So Solomon went after Astrath, the goddess of Sidonians. Mm. And if I look today and I, I, if I were playing with you, I'd say, okay, where do you find Sidonians today? And you both being bright would say 30 miles south of Beirut, Lebanon, the town of Sidon. Uh, the port city that Jesus refers to, and that's astrath is the god of Sidonians. Milcom mm. or Chemish is the god of Ammonites, where Ammonites at the Ammon, Jordan today. Mm. Uh, so this is, uh, and down here you've got Chemish, the god of Moab, and Moloch, the Ab- of Ammonites. Moloch is a name for Milcom. See, these mm. are these are sons of gods, high order spiritual beings. They're associated with Ammon Ammon, and Sidon, and Baal is associated with uh, Canaan, Baal and Astereth. So that's where you look at that. In, in that dispersal, what happened, people in ultimate arrogance said, we will not have anything to do with you, Yahweh. And he says, okay, I'll give you over to other gods of your own choice. And those are the sons of God. We might call them demonic beings, but that's actually to downgrade them a bit. They're higher order spiritual powers, and we find them today. I think of the Hindu deities, for example, Kali or Vishnu or uh, Brahma. These are high order spiritual beings in the Brahman or in the Hindu pantheon, and we could other religions. Native Americans they name the gods of their tribe and such. So I think that's what we've got is Genesis 11 is talking about God dispersing the nations and giving them over to gods they choose uh, because they reject him decisively and he honors their choice and turns them over. I think Romans chapter one talks about that too, where it talks about he gave them over to creation instead of the creator.
0: Yeah.
2: So quick to answer for a complex question.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating.
1: So, Gary, like one of the things that I think a lot of people ask or they have questions about is um, I thought, for example, as a a Christian in America, I would say that most people would think that those were invented gods. They're just made up, that there's actually nothing behind them. There's no substance behind them because they're inventions of man's, you know, it's like Zeus in mythology. It's all made up. You're You're actually a wonderful materialist. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm corrupted by modern thinking. You're saying <laughs> yeah. there's actually gods, and by gods yeah. we mean angelic beings, not on Spiritual the level being. of God, Yahweh, the yeah. creator God, certainly not, but right. created beings yeah. that are actually at work, at play, even yeah. now, today. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, even in the U.S., even in Portland, uh, even yes. in San Jose? Let me show you
2: biblically why I believe that. If I go back to Exodus chapter 7... Uh, we know Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh and they, he says, you know, go forth and let my people go, take your staff, cast it down. And it may become a serpent. So they did that. Uh, throw his staff down before a and it becomes a serpent. And I asked uh, powerful pastors like Jay and Dave, how many times have you turned a staff into a serpent in the past, like six months?
0: <laughs> and the answer
2: is, uh, zero a half times. dozen maybe. <laughs> yeah totally but here's the thing when pharaoh and the sorcerers the magicians Egypt, they did the same thing they cast yeah. down their staff and it became a serpent and this isn't just smoke and mirrors these by the power of their gods the gods of egypt are able to turn staffs into serpents yeah uh, this and this isn't just you david copperfield illusions yeah right this is a reality and yeah. the gods are really powerful and yes they are at work today the same yes. sort of thing the cause of of disorder of break of chaos and we see them actively at work in our society
1: which
0: leads us yeah, to I, 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 go ahead well, sorry Jim. i was going to say i think one of the things we um we're trying to push people toward is that exact thought that Can you expand your thinking, your imagination to have room for the the unseen? Uh, And I think what you're saying is really interesting, Gary, because maybe one of the reasons why people get hung up, and this will kind of lead to the question Dave's going to ask here in a moment, but one of the things that you gets have us a prophetic really prophetic spirit
2: jay you have a prophetic spirit <laughs> this is or
0: good. or a google doc it's one of those two um i'm either a prophet or very yeah. proficient with you know google drive uh you know, people get hung up because I grew up in the Christian church, and what right. I heard all the time is there is one true God, right? and that's it. And I think yep. the way I interpreted that was there is one divine being mm-hmm. and nothing else. That's correct. But if I'm hearing you correctly, Gary, what the Bible seems to make really clear to us is when the Bible talks about the one true God, it's almost talking in the language of the great theologian Ricky Bobby from – Saladega nights when he says, If you ain't first or last. So one true God, meaning there is one God, Yahweh, who rules and reigns over all. And heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. The word God gets us really messed up because we think it's Yahweh's name, but it's a descriptor. It's a title. And It, we we map, you know, that Hebrew word Elohim, it gets mapped onto spiritual beings the century. So when you yep. read that in the Bible, what the Bible is not saying is actually there's many gods and it's pluralistic and worship them all. No, it is clear there is one true God who rules the creator of all things for sure. Yep. But then there are all sorts of spiritual beings, and that word Elohim gets used to describe That's
2: correct. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael and Gabriel, who are on the good side, are Elohim. Yeah. On the bad side, you go Baal and Moloch and Chemish and Astarte and uh, all those, uh, and those are all Elohim. Because just like in English, we can use the title God for Yahweh, the triune creator of heaven and earth, Or you can use the title God for all kinds of other things.
0: Yeah.
2: Same thing in Hebrew or Arabic. Arabic uses the term Allah, uh, which is like El. And it can be the God or it can be... Arabic Christians refer to Yahweh as Allah. uh, And they also refer that to other spiritual beings, the jinn Mm and things like that.
1: So that gets us into, I I think, the part... And I remember when the Bible Project dropped this. This is... I don't know if you guys get feedback, but this was disorienting i think for a lot of people and that was the the one you guys did on the divine council um just this idea psalm Psalm 82 says that god presides in the great assembly he renders judgment among the gods the elohim and that great assembly that idea of a divine council is like god has a staff team of spiritual beings and some of those staff i guess uh revolted um uh, rebelled or something like that so you want to talk a little bit about that and and what's what's going on there because the idea of god having a staff yeah. team is is with with a bunch of spiritually powerful beings is maybe alien to a lot of us yeah do
2: any of you sing either of you sing
1: jay was in a band is a, jay was in a band Jay was a fantastic i'm an amazing <laughs> i was in a boy band so yes Ooh. yes uh it's, did you ever <laughs>
2: sing the did you ever sing that song, The God of Angel Armies?
1: Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: was real popular three or four years ago. Yeah. Well that that's Psalm 82. Is yeah. Angel Armies is Yahweh Sabaot, the Lord of hosts, we translate it, or the God of Angel Armies. And that's a very common phrase in scripture. And uh, so this is Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the Elohim he holds judgment. And that's what we're talking about here is this divine council. This is ESV. Some NIV calls it the great assembly, uh, just how you translate the Hebrew. In the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. Now, a lot of people would say that's kings, but God does not take his place among human kings. That doesn't make any sense. He does judge them very negatively, but He says, you are Elohim, sons of the Most High, all of you. Uh, Nevertheless, like humans, you will die. Now, if the Elohim are human, then like humans, you will die makes no sense. Right. If these are angelic beings, sons of the Most High or sons of God, Malak Yahweh, uh, you, sorry, uh, B'nai Elohim, Elohim. like humans you will die or any other prince that's what he's he's saying here these elohim these elohim will die like humans and that's what we say about the divine Mm council is among the divine council there are good guys and bad guys michael gabriel are named good guys there are a lot of them that don't have names i and we find the same kind of thing happening in job Uh, chapter one, uh, where God calls uh, here, the day when the sons of God, there's that phrase again, bene Elohim, came to present themselves before the Lord and the devil, the Satan, is among them. And the Lord and the Satan have this conversation and Satan ends up afflicting Job and all that. But the sons of God, that's the divine counsel in, in this divine council, ironically, are both good guys and bad guys. And you say, how can that be? And my answer is, next time you see God, ask him, because he didn't explain it to me.
1: <laughs> but is the idea, that's yeah, that, um, that's fascinating. The idea is that there's this giant cosmic drama that we're a part of, in which the same that's options, correct. will we be allegiant to God or not? Oh, by God, I mean Yahweh, the creator God. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. The
2: best analogy I can do that's familiar to all of us would be the president as compared to the U.S. Senate. Mm. The president has a higher authority. He can veto anything the Senate does. I mean, it doesn't work out real well. Uh, but the you've got one president and you've got a hundred senators, and the hundred senators advise and consent on certain decisions and such. But among the Senate, there are supporters of the president and they're enemies of the president, but they're still a part of that council. That's as mm-hmm. good an analogy we can do among the things that are familiar from our world. Yeah. Except the difference between a... Yahweh and the Senate is much bigger than the president versus the U.S. Senate.
0: Right, right. That's helpful. So we've established here that there is clearly, biblically speaking, uh a spiritual realm mm-hmm. full of spiritual beings i want to ask you about the one yep. spiritual being that most people think about the most <laughs> yep. and it's a big broad question so just give us you know the 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 big brush strokes when it comes to the devil or the satan this yep. great enemy of god the dragon the serpent you know he's got all sorts of descriptors throughout the scriptures yep. um who exactly is the devil you know what do we know about his origin story and, w- and what do we don't know and uh, not know and and what's his ultimate purpose? Who is the devil? You know where did he come from and and what's he trying to do? I
2: it's it's not clear that we have any origin story from the devil. We get some hints. I mean, one of the clearest hints uh, is in the ironically in the qualification for elders, First Timothy chapter. It's got the various things here about what it has what he has to be. But here down in verse 7, morals he must thought outsiders, so he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. Mm. But just before that, that so that's Satan is it is after elders, but it says he must not be a recent convert or may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Now this mm. hints that somehow the devil became puffed up with conceit and fell into condemnation. And that's the thing that happened to the devil. It's a hint. It's not a direct Mm -hmm. teaching. But the possibility is that this guardian cherub, uh, we find him in uh, another hint in Ezekiel 28, and it's just a hint. It's about the prince of Tyre, uh, this man says, I am a God, I will do that, but you're a man, you're not an Elohim, uh, and all these things. And a little bit later, it changes things. Son of Man, over the, the king of Tyre, you had the sign of perfection, wisdom, and beauty in Eden, you're in the garden of God. And it goes on and talks about this. You are an anointed guardian cherub. I place you on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire as you walk. You are blameless. Till unrighteousness is found in you, and it goes on talks about this. The, I destroyed you, guardian cherub, and the idea that I mean it's it's a it's it's only a hint, but I like what Tim Mackey suggests that this passage hints that this cherub who is carrying the godmobile that we see in Ezekiel chapter in the whole book of Ezekiel, this cherub wanted to be on the throne instead of carrying the throne. It's only a hint, but somehow this guardian cherub uh, became an enemy of God when unrighteous was. Found. and it seems to be connected with pride and a desire to elevate myself up to the equality with God.
0: yeah, uh, we, we want to get into angels and demons here in a second, but you you know you mentioned the possibility seems that there are some biblical hints that the devil the satan was possibly once a, this cherub that fell into disgrace yep. puffed up you know i think some people have heard stories like that that the the devil or the satan was some sort of angelic being who pride took over um and then you kind of drop this line in there from that passage about cherubs. so let me ask you about that we're introduced to cherubs pretty early genesis 3 after yep. the fall yep of yep. humans. They are driven out from the Garden uh, uh, of Eden. They're driven to the east and then God, God uh, verse 24, he places on the east side of the Garden right. of Eden cherubim and yeah. a flaming sword. Uh, okay, so most people are probably wondering, like, Gary, what's a cherub? So uh, tell us about that. What is a cherub? <laughs> I think
1: about Hallmark and, and babies and diapers, just so you're clear. Well, <laughs> uh, that's what I think of. Repent, brother. <laughs> repent. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And that, of course, is mocking. I, we don't know a lot about the heavenly orders, but we have a uh, seraphim and cherubim. A, a seraph is a flaming one, a cherub is some sort of guardian. And you find in Ephesians chapter six, you find other categories of spiritual beings. We don't know much about them, except there are quite a few of them. And apparently, a Cherub would be the way say in Hebrew, uh, is a very high powerful angel, angelic being, uh, that God uses in certain kinds of ways, uh, but we just don't know much about them. Satarfim mm-hmm. we see in Ezekiel Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six, uh, and this apparently is a higher order being that's close and works with the uh, with the Lord Himself. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah. we have so little data. But man, people quickly tell you, well, let me tell you what's there, and they come up with <laughs> speculation or something a demon told them. Yeah. God Can I ask you about
1: Seraphim, about though? Uh, because it does yes. look like Seraphim are like these mashups of animals that we see in the actual created world. Is there a sense that, like, I, I think about, like, when I've seen these, these sometimes you go to zoos or out in the wild, you see these majestic animals, and they have power or strength, or and it almost feels like God's taking what he's created and mashing them together in these, like, almost like guards. Is, is that kind of, is yeah. there a reflection of God's created glory in the Seraphim? Or, or am I, is that just me? Am I off? I mean, I know I'm off, but That's am I off just on being that? Stupid. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's probably just <laughs> you being stupid, Dave. Wow. All right. Oh, in, in, <laughs> a little more seriously, we do find in the Hebrew pictures in Ezekiel. Uh, we find it in many other uh, religions. These pictures of myth, what we call mythological monsters, that do mix up characteristics. And my inclination is to think they're actually seeing some of these angelic beings that are mashed up like that, and they are perverted glory. Mm. So I I think what you're saying is probably true, but this it's not something that's described specifically in Scripture. It's common iconography in many different religions. And I think they're actually seeing these spiritual beings. I've Mm. never seen one, but I know people who claim they have, and I actually believe them, that they actually see demons and angels, and everyone I've talked to who says they see demons and angels does not want to see them.
1: Hmm. Oh, so talk about that. Let's talk about angels and demons. Cause I think Jay, you were alluding to it. We've got right. this ha this Satan, the devil. Is yeah. he like the ringleader? Is it like the Joker in his goons? <laughs> like, uh, like uh, how, apparently uh, I don't know. I don't watch movies like that. So maybe... <laughs> it's a comic book. It's a comic book, Gary. Come on. It's, it's a Batman comic book, right? That's Okay. <laughs> I grew up on the real Batman, not the perverted sure. Batman that you see around today. <laughs> Holy priceless collection of Etruscan snoods, Batman. Uh, so <laughs> let me ask you a question. <laughs> what, how, do, how do you talk about angels and demons? And then you just said that people that you know who have actually seen them wish that they had not. So talk a little bit about that, 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 that idea.
2: I, when you talk about angels, I mean, we've got a lot of pictures of angels. Uh, I mean, gosh, they're just about everywhere. I like Matthew chapter one. I uh, Matthew one. Let me get it. Uh, you get the genealogy of Jesus, and you get the birth of Jesus, and this uh this picture, I uh, Joseph, I mean, he is a righteous guy. Her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He's a protector. He's going to protect his wife, or his, actually his fiancée, is betrothed to Jesus before they came together, so they're not married yet. She's pregnant. His righteous thing is to protect her. So he's going to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to do this. Uh, so an angel comes and bears a message to him from God, telling him what God has in mind. And he says, don't be afraid to marry her because this is a good thing. Joseph woke up. He did just the angel commanded, took his wife, and did not have uh, relations with her until after they're born. This is what angels do uh, is they carry messages and help people do good things. Another thing angels do is, and we find in revelation 19, uh, we get this angel uh, that comes down specifically. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the angel said to me, write this blessed are those invited to marriage supper of the lamb. These are the true words of God. And here John falls at his feet to worship him. And the angel says, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant. Worship God only. Mm-hmm. So here are these angels and they're doing powerful things, but the important thing is they refuse to be worshipped. They recognize they're different than God. They're servants of the Lord Most High. They're not equal with God. Now, if that were uh, Satan, and you wanted to worship him, he would quickly accept it. Uh, yes. Right. And that's the temptation of Jesus, yeah. is worship me, and we'll do this together, and it'll be great.
0: Yeah.
2: The demons want to steal worship that's owned only to god and put themselves up to draw us away from god and break that relationship with the lord of the universe Hmm.
1: okay gary can i ask you a question about one of the weirdest passages in the bible in my estimation and that's genesis 6 it's the moment like right after right right around noah and it says that the nephilim like these created being these these were on the earth in those days and also afterward When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were heroes of old men of renown. This is a very strange passage. And a lot of folks, uh, this is a very strange passage. So could you talk us through what you think is going on here? Mm
2: -hmm. I I mean, there's a lot of debate about the passage, what it means, but I just take it straight up. The sons of God. So that's, that's the B'nai Elohim, the sons of God. That's the same exact crowd, same exact phrase that I find in Job. Uh, If I go to Job 38, where God comes back and speaks to Job, he talks about when he laid the foundations of the earth. Where were you when the morning stars sang together when all the sons of God shouted for joy? Well, that can't be humans because they were not around when God did the initial creation. These Mm -hmm. are angelic beings. And you look at an NIV, it'll translate that as angels because that's what it means. So these are sons of God, same crowd here, sons of God, saw that the daughter, these are human women, these angel beings and human women. So they took as they chose. That's the sin Mm -hmm. formula. Instead of obeying God, they took as they chose and specifically go against the boundaries God does.
0: Yeah, it's the, God, it's the Eden rhythm, right? Yet the, they take yep. it. Yeah, yep. that's yep. good. And
2: then the Nephilim, which is a term meaning the what's translated in the Septuagint is giants, gigantes. So this would be Goliath, for example, is a gigantes, a Nephilim. He's a Rephidim, actually. Uh, we on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. How can angel beings and human women have children together? And I'll tell you the exact answer to that. I don't know. And nobody else does either. But this is a transgression of boundary. And God sees this wickedness. And these, if you look in the... In the literature around that talk about the sons of God in those days, not the canonical literature, because this is the only place this is, is talked about, uh, their creatures are full of violence. One of, the, one of the giants we see is in Genesis 10, where it talks about Nimrod, who's one of those giants. Goliath mm-hmm. is another one. Uh, and these are people who have self, self-serving power and great wickedness. That's what it comes up. So wh- the question is, where are these guys today? Now the Bible does answer that. Second Peter chapter. They're playing two. in
1: the NFL, I'm assuming. I mean, those guys well, are huge.
2: <laughs> yeah, so are. Yeah, I think so. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. So here in in uh, Second Peter chapter two, if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and actually Tartarus the there to be kept until the judgment. And then the next thing he does is not spare the ancient world, but Noah and then the Sodom and Gomorrah. These angels, it's anglos in Greek, uh, is referring back to Genesis 6. And these sons of God have been cast into Tartarus until the day of final judgment. You find the same kind of thing in Jude. Uh, Same exact kind of thing. The angels who did not stay with them on the position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, that is, they came and moved onto earth and did women. He's kept eternal darkness until the judgment of that great day. So that's what we know about the sons of God from Genesis 6. Mm. But these are angelic beings that somehow have transgressed boundaries and actually have had somehow created children with Mm. human women.
0: Yeah. Fascinating stuff. And, and the point you're making there at the end, you know, God casts them because of their sin and wickedness to hell. Again, reiterate some of the point yep. that, you know, you've made earlier, God, God rules and reigns. Right. <laughs> God is in control. God is uh, the, the all powerful one. Yeah. So kind of along those lines, I want to ask a practical question that I think, you know, for mm-hmm. Dave and I as pastors, and I know for yep. you, yep. Gary, you've had real firsthand experience with yep, some of this yep. stuff. So I want to ask the question that I think a lot of Christians ask about demon possession. Mm-hmm. We've seen movies about it, all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. is demon possession real? And if it is, what is it? And secondarily, can Christians be demon-possessed?
2: Well, <laughs> let me again go to the Bible. I... Here in Mark chapter one, Jesus has, uh, you know, he's called up some disciples and then he goes into Capernaum Kern- and begins to teach. And when Jesus teaches immediately in the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. So that's one of the names that you can have for a demon, an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit gets ticked off when Jesus is teaching and the demon objects. What do you have to do with Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, this is not a Jewish guy in a synagogue. This is a demon speaking. Can a demon control and speak through the mouth of a human? Well, here it is. That's what we call possession. Jesus rebuked him and said, And this is a good thing to say to demons, shut up, get out. And the unclean spirit convulsing, crying out loud voice came out of him. So that's a brief statement of what we might call demon possession. Uh,
0: Yeah. Go ahead, Gary.
2: And what I'd want to say, well, let me just leave it at that. This is a case where this jewish man which we don't know anything about uh somehow has become overtaken by a demonic spirit an unclean spirit so that there's a mixture between the two and when jesus begins to teach it ticks the demon off and it starts screaming at jesus i know who you are have you and you know and demons don't like to be looked at in the name of jesus it gets angry speaks up and jesus shut up get out
0: so for the Christian that says, okay, Gary, what I have been told, and hopefully what I have experienced in my life, mm-hmm. is that because I am a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. the spirit of God is in me and in all of us, binding us as right. one. We we are his temple. Can I, is it possible that I, as a Christian, with the indwelling of the spirit, is it possible that I might Get demon possessed that a demon might possess me in some way um is there a good answer to that question
2: there is i but let me it's actually it'd be a little more complex because when i come over to one of my key passages here is colossians one twelve. uh pick your translation they're all going to say pretty much the same thing we give thanks to the father and what the father has done is qualified us to share in this of the saints in light So this is the father, he, so this is the father, has delivered us. So it's a past tense. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, that's the the kingdom of Satan, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption or freedom and the forgiveness of sins. So one of the things that's really important is people are in the domain of darkness, our possession, if you will, of, of Satan. He's the spiritual yes. head of the darkness. We are no longer in the domain of darkness. We are in the kingdom of his beloved son. How did we get there? Because father delivered us out of the authority of Satan and into the authority of Jesus Mm. so what and there in in the kingdom of light we have redemption or freedom we have the forgiveness of sins i could say a lot more about that but here's the first thing i want to say is and everybody agrees at this or should is that w- believers are never ever under the authority of satan in reality mm. uh, we're under the authority of jesus uh so from that perspective Uh, The devil never owns a believer. The devil does own unbelievers because they have not yet been transferred from darkness to light. We're believers. We are not the possession of the devil ever. Hmm. The trouble of it is, is that the devil can deceive us and make us think that he has authority over us. Let me hold that for just a minute. <clears throat> the term "possession" has three different meanings. It has ownership, and the professor and me wants to ask you guys: Does the devil ever own a believer? No, no. No. Colossians one twelve and many others. I uh, there's a middle meaning, dominate, and there's another meaning, is As we use the term "possession" in English, well, what possessed you to do that? What influence you to, you know, go out and try fentanyl or something like that? Can a demon influence a believer? Yeah. Can a demon accuse or tempt? Yeah. And we all say, yeah, absolutely. So can we be uh, influenced, tempted, accused, deceived? Yes, we all say yes. Can we be owned? No. The middle of the three is dominated. Uh And that's where the debate comes in, or part Mm. of it. Can a Christian be dominated by a demon? And I think they can, but only as they allow it to happen Mm. uh, through deception or something. It's the same thing, uh, can a, uh, well, I I, I unfortunately do too much work around domestic violence. Mm. Violent husbands who are beating the dickens out of their women uh, why in the world does the woman go back to the guy who's beating her up? Because somehow she's fallen into the idea that, well, I'm nice. He's so nice to me. I'm, if I just be nice, he'd be okay. But if I don't get it right, you know, he, and, and they fall in this deception and they'll go back to the guy instead of calling him 911. Hmm. Well, that kind of deception is what demons can do to Christians, I think. Is yeah. we can be deceived in well, that's where the fun is. That's where the knowledge is. That's where
1: the power is.
2: Mm. Uh, so I think. And that, I guess the men I, who
1: are doing the abusing also deceived in a deep and dark way as well. Yeah.
2: Too. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So can a Christian be dominated by a demon? I think they can. Uh, the bigger question, and it's kind of the debate, Can a demon be inside a believer? And many would say, no, 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 you can't. To my judgment, where the physical location of a spiritual being is, is irrelevant. The question is not inside, outside in a physical location. The question is authority and influence. Mm. A demon never has actual authority over a believer, no matter what you've done, unless you believe it and you give it authority. Mm. but it absolutely can have influence so a demon could be standing right beside me here and have all kinds of influence and dominating impact in my life so whether it's inside or outside the bible actually doesn't answer that question mm. people say well we're temple of the holy spirit true but in the old testament temple you have demonic stuff in the temple all the time mm. Hezekiah and Josiah in their reformations go in and they take demonic stuff out of the temple while Yahweh is in the Holy of Holies.
1: In Ezekiel's vision of the corruption of the yep. temple, uh, the yep. secret places that God sees. So, yeah. Yep. yeah.
2: So yeah. Uh, the idea that we're temple and therefore the demon cannot be inside our bodies, that analogy doesn't work. Yeah. And my answer is I honestly don't know whether a demon can be inside a believer or not. But I don't think it makes any difference. The point is, does it have authority? The answer is no, except what I give it through being deceived. But it does have influence that I can, it doesn't matter what's inside me or outside. And then people will say, can a demon actually speak through the mouth of a believer? The Bible never addresses that question specifically, but I've seen it happen. I've Mm -hmm. seen people who without any doubt have Jesus as their Lord and I've I've listened to demons speak through the mouth. It happened in the chair right behind me here, yeah. uh, one of the times.
0: Wow, that's super helpful. That breakdown of the sort of trifold nature yeah. of possession yeah. is so
2: yeah. helpful. Own, and, dominate, yeah. influence. Own, yeah. no influence. Yes, dominate. People disagree on that, but I think they can mm-hmm. if we let them have it. Yeah, that's great. That's helpful, Gary. Don't mess with demons; they're not nice.
1: Yeah. Um. Okay. So, <laughs> have you? Yes. You've talked about exorcisms. Have you? Have you done exorc? You've done exorcisms. Is yeah. it? I I think about the movie The Exorcist. This is like feels like something out of a movie, right? So, like well, when you're talking, don't do it that way. <laughs> right. So <laughs> when you talk about exorcism, is, is there? Is this a? Is is there some down to earth ways to think about this, or because you talk about influence and being dominated, and I I, I know yeah. lots of Christians and even moments in my own life when I've been dominated by lies, and I've and I guess in some ways the Christian community and teachers have helped exercise those demons. Yeah. Talk about exorcism a little bit, maybe demystify mm-hmm. it, or talk a little bit about how you think about the word exorcism, yeah. um, how it works, et cetera, et cetera. I,
2: I mean. Uh, uh, if, just to give you a word, if you go to my website, brochures.net you'll find a tab on there. It's uh, spiritual warfare resources. And I've got a bunch of stuff in there. So some of the, there's documents behind some of the stuff I'm going to say here in a minute that anybody can go look at. I I follow the pattern of Jesus, pretty much. Uh, so if I go back to, I already showed it to you, Mark 1. Uh, he teaches, the demon shows up. He rebukes it, shut up, get out. I think that's a really good thing to do. Uh, Paul in Acts 16 uh, has a similar kind of passage. Uh, They're saying the Sabbath day outside this thing, place of prayer, Lydia gets, oops, sorry, that's wrong one. They... uh, uh, they're going to place a prayer. There's a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Can a demon tell the future? And the answer is, well, the Bible thinks they can. Not in every way, perhaps, but the people are make, They're making money. She followed Paul and cried out. These are servants of most God, proclaiming the way of salvation. Paul finally gets really annoyed at her doing this and turns and said to the spirit, that's the demonic spirit, I command you name Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And I think this is the heart of it is to have somebody uh, command the demon to come out or get away. And I think that's the heart of it. So I think the best exorcist in the scripture is a guy named Jesus. And when he gets attacked by the devil, command these stones to become bread, Jesus quotes scripture out loud to the devil, standing firm on the truth of God. But he speaks scripture to the devil to stand firm on the truth. The devil does not give up. The devil's quote scripture misuses it to be sure. Jesus again quotes scripture out loud to the devil. That's the sword of the spirit. The devil keeps coming. Uh and he third time quotes scripture out loud to the devil, stand firm on the truth of God instead of trusting my own judgment. And then The other thing he does is Jesus said to the devil, get away. And the devil left him. So the base things of exorcism is speaking scripture out loud to the demon and commanding, get away. Again, I think out loud. Mm. So when I do... uh, I don't like the term exorcism, but on hell, and, and I, I believe that uh, people have the authority to drive demons. Uh, I partner together with people and I try to get uh, the person who's the believer who's being influenced or attached or whatever to a demon, deceived by a demon, first of all, to recognize truth. And the truth is I'm a child of the Lord most high. I'm seated with Jesus in the heavenlies. I'm in the kingdom of light, not in the dominion of darkness. I do a lot of scripture work to help them believe the truth that that demon actually has no authority over me. And I can follow the pattern of Jesus and deal with it. Then I help them speak scripture to the demon. I want to have them do their own spiritual work where I can. And I help them. So speak scripture to the demon and then tell the demon in Jesus' name, get away. And it actually has to go. Mm. And I help them do that. I've done that uh, a lot of times with different people. There yeah. are some times when people are so bound up, they can't do it themselves. And then I I command the demon. But I always try to help people strengthen and realize they have the authority to say no to a demon, get away from me, just like Jesus does. We have that same authority, and I want to help them be able to do that.
0: Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That instills, again, you know, usually we live with so much fear when we think about yep. um, yeah. demons and the devil. And a lot of it's just driven by the, the sort of cultural caricatures, that's but correct. it's a great reminder. They, in, you know, the devil's nature he's the father of lies. Yep. Lying is his native language. Yep. So even that is a lie, the fear, the, the sense that, Oh, no, you know, it's uh, the devil's out to get me and I'm ruined. Mm -hmm. If you are in Christ, those are all lies. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I want to ask a really practical question, Gary, uh, because this is a question that people either have or they just ignore and then um, go one way or the other. How can a person, how can a Christian know if something difficult we're going through is... (laughs) spiritual warfare or a product of poor decision making or just bad luck um you know are there distinguishing marks because i think the reason that question matters is sometimes we can over spiritualize or under emphasize mm-hmm. yeah. the yeah. spiritual nature i don't know do you have any advice there you know how can we recognize oh this is the devil and his minions doing their work or it's just i i probably should have gotten an oil change on my car (laughs) and it wouldn't have broken down on the middle of the road you know i don't know yeah Yeah. what do you think about that i
2: i assume a multimodal in many cases the um the thing that i'm not happy with is a is a parent who brings their kid in who's really rebellious and really angry and says we cast the demon out of my kid so it won't be my boy will not be so rebellious and I, the first thing i'm going to say that parent is it's probably more than just a demon can we talk about your parenting style mm. i don't talk about parenting style i want to talk about the demon you may be under the influence of a demon right now mm. Uh, because it's it's many times it's multimodal, uh, and we want to blame a demon to get rid of our own responsibility, mm. uh, and that that doesn't work out. More commonly in our society is people never think of a demonic possibility, yeah. and I want to bring in the possibility that there's a demonic voice or a demonic power behind the addictive pattern. I want to bring in the fact that there may be a demonic narcissism behind the anger and just such, uh, that's a piece of it. And so what I do, uh, and again, there are different ways to do things. Uh, is I try to help a believer. I, I do prayer work around them just to, I'm in the kingdom of light. Demons have no authority over me, that sort of thing. And then through the prayer, I just, Holy spirit, will you show bill just use a name will you show bill what he needs to see in his inner world mm. and then i say okay bill will you walk with jesus into your inner world and just see what the holy spirit will show you yeah and he may show you may you may hear a voice you may see something you may sense something or you may sense nothing uh and then i do again i do that prayer work i just demonic spirit you have no authority here you must release bill you must shut up now bill i want you to walk with jesus i want you to look in your inner world and tell me what you see or what you hear and i largely trust that if there's something demonic there that bill will get a picture of or a sense or something that there's some presence there that's not me now it's a little more complicated than that but that's my base approach yeah yeah I, and what I find sometimes is that there's a personal presence in the inner world of a human. And then I ask them to look at it and I just command the name of Jesus, Jesus show Bill what he needs to see. Hmm. And Bill, I've, I've had this happen a number of times, Bill. Oh, could that be a demon that's doing that? And the answer could be, let's check. Mm. And then I have him quote scripture, speak scripture to the demon, command it to get away in Jesus' name. Uh, and that's the base approach I do. Now, some it's more complicated sometimes, but a lot of times it's that simple. you got a demonic voice that says, you are a jerk. Mm. Don't ever let anybody see what's inside you. They will hate you forever. know that voice, it makes sense to people. You're a screw up, you can't do anything. You're a fat pig, nobody would ever love you. You know, in those kind of demonic voices, we just take, we just, they're normal. And I wanna suggest the possibility that could be a, a negative introject from an angry parent. It could be just the voice of the world that says you're 50 pounds overweight, therefore nobody would ever love you, or whatever the voice, that's just the world speaking. Or it could be yourself. Yeah. But the demonic possibility I want to bring into the consideration of do spiritual assessment, and yeah. uh, not infrequently I find a a personal presence that's pumping energy into the lies or the addictive patterns or whatever it is. Mm. Well, yeah. Demons then quote scripture at it, command it to get away, stand firm in the reality of Jesus Christ.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so helpful. I think Jay and I both have situations where we've been with people who have had the same voice saying the same thing for not a a month, not a year, but years upon years upon years. It's old wounds. The voice of that person so many years ago that keeps echoing in their mind, accusing them, making them feel terrible. And I guess that brings us to, I think, probably my final question, Jay, you might have one, but just in general, in light of everything you've talked about, in light of a spiritual realm where there's a real enemy really, uh, you know, possessing, uh, in the possessing meaning in trying to influence us um, and trying, yep. to, trying to dominate us and trying to pull us away from God, right. his good plan, his good design, uh, getting us not to trust God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How can Christians live in confidence? Um, how can we have courage? How, uh, you know, positionally, how should we think about ourselves going forward? And uh, how can we live in, in, in I guess, in victory over, over this reality that the Bible seems so clear about?
2: Yeah. I, let me go back to Scripture again here for a moment. One of the passages that I really want to go to as much as possible is Ephesians 5.8. Uh, and it'll come out in different ways in different uh, translations. Let me just do the NIV. It's a little clearer there. The NIV, Ephesians 5.8, you once were darkness. Colossians says you're in the dominion of darkness, but here's the thing, but now you are light in the Lord. That little phrase right there is so critically important. It's the last thing in the world the devil ever wants you to believe that you are light in the world, and he'll show you, okay, you're not light. Look at this. But this Mm. is God speaking, you are light in the Lord. It's not denying there's darkness in us, but you are light. Therefore, live who you are. You were darkness. You are light in the Lord, not by myself. Live who you are. Mm. That's so central. Another one that I want people to go to is the Colossians passage. Colossians 2.12, sorry, one twelve. I uh, giving joyful so thanks to the father who qualified you and shared the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That's where we're at for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We're not there anymore. We're in the kingdom of the son he loves. And there we have freedom. We have forgiveness. I keep wanting to come back to that. Uh, God's identity. I mean, it's, it's in several places. Galatians chapter four. Uh he says, you were and saved God His son uh, to redeem those under the law. might receive adoption to sonship. Uh, sonship means right of inheritance. This isn't about masculinity because you are his sons. We're children of the Lord most high. God sent the spirit of the son into our heart. The spirit of calls out Abba father. You're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God, you made an heir. And I want to have people come back and just repeat that slowly. Holy Spirit, help me see and feel and know and experience and live the truth of this. And I just have them go through on slow cadence, but make it personal. Father, you sent the spirit of your son into my heart. This spirit calls out Abba, Father. I call that out now. Abba, Father. Demonic spirit, I read reject your voice that this father doesn't like me. I receive the truth of the spirit who says you are Abba, father. You are the father who loves me and cares for me and wants my best. I am not a slave. I am child of the Lord most high. I'm a precious son of the Lord himself. I am an heir of the kingdom. I am, and one more, Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead, but God made us alive in Christ. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, far above all authority, rule, and power. The demonic spirits have no authority over me. And so this is the way I come to the confidence is slow, prayerful reading of what scripture says, preferably in concert with a couple other people can help me do that people i trust enough i don't have to edit i can actually say what's in my spirit and when that voice comes up it contradicts what god says i reject that voice in jesus name Mm -hmm. i speak scripture to it i reject it because that's the stand firm get away and that's the spiritual battle and it's not some you know head spinning exorcism kind of thing most of it, it's just rejection of the lie, and Holy Spirit, drive that truth deep into my heart. That's and so a lot that, done. That's just so helpful. Prayer life,
1: yeah. Gary. It, it also reminds me. You say speaking against a, something you call worm theology, which is too low of you <laughs> of what God has done yes. and what it's almost yes. like saying I'm sin and I'm defined by my sin and I'll always be sin. It's it's almost like overstating. Yeah. Um, the the yeah. work that Jesus has done. This is so encouraging and and hope filled that we are we can be different. Yeah. That God is changing and is changing us.
2: And the other yeah. thing is, if God really is Abba Father, then I can go him to him with the thing I'm most deeply ashamed about, and know that he's going to gather me up and say, "Let's talk about it, son. Let's talk about it, daughter." Mm. And so I can be open about my trash because it's there. Yeah. And see, the world says, don't ever admit you got any trash, man. It'll be used against you. And it is in the world. Yeah. In God's world, it's, wow, let me help.
0: Yeah. And
2: that's where you receive God's forgiveness and help. But that's where the confidence is. I'm child of the Lord most high.
0: Yeah.
2: And the voice that says, no, you're not. That's a voice to be condemned to hell. Because that's demons. That's not God saying that.
0: Yeah. That's such a good... Word of encouragement, Gary. That's I'm so glad our folks are seeing and experiencing again. Obviously, they've experienced your academic uh, depth and breadth a bit here, but that's exactly what I was talking about at the beginning. You are truly a pastor who is a brilliant theologian, and uh, you know, it makes me think what you're talking about. It's so moving if the spiritual realm and spiritual realities are true and constant and even though they're unseen then the truth is the devil is a liar and lies come at us Mm -hmm. in all sorts of ways most of the time the devil's attacks do not look like the movies with heads spinning and lightning and thunder most of the time they are these insidious sort of quiet whispers that we just can't shake that that sort of try to chip away at our identity. You know, it makes me think of um, Brendan Manning has this, one of his books, it's called The Furious Longing of God. And, you know, you can argue Manning's theology, he was off on a few things for sure, but a brilliant writer and certainly understood at least the love of God in in a profound, beautiful way. At the beginning of this book, The Furious Longing of God, I'm paraphrasing him here, but he begins with this really powerful thing. He says, I'm Brennan and I'm an alcoholic. And then I left that life and went back to that life. That's a part of my story, but it's not the whole story. And then he goes, I'm Brennan. I was once married. I'm no longer married. It's a part of my story, but it's not the whole story. I'm Brennan. I was a priest. I'm no longer a priest. It's a part of my story. It's not the whole story. He just goes on and on and on. And then at the end, he says something along the lines of, I'm Brennan. I'm a sinner saved by grace, loved and wrapped up in the furious love of God, my Abba Father. And um, that's really the center of who I am. And it makes me think of that. There are all these lies of demons and the devil telling us who we are. But in reality, like you said, like the scriptures say, we are light now and we are children. Yep, and yep. in that, we can have courage and confidence to, to move about our lives, knowing that we are beloved by God. Yep. And, and, and so I'd like to
2: correct Brennan's thing one step. Instead, I'm a sinner wrapped up in God's love. I don't want to say I'm a child of God who struggles with sin. Yes, that's and right. I, I can take that struggle to my Abba and he will help me.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Well, Gary, you are a gift to Dave, to me, to so many. I count as precious friends, both of you. I
2: hate to say about Dave, but it's true. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've done a lot together over the years and thank you guys for being faithful pastors. I love working with you.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Gary. Thank you all for watching. We hope this was helpful to you. And uh, yeah, Gary's got a bunch of resources on his website. We'll link it on our page as well, but brashiers.net, and you can find some stuff there as well. So, thank you guys for watching, listening, and uh, we'll see you all. Thanks,
1: Gary. Yep. Bye, bye. Bye, guys. All
0: right. Recording stopped. Are we supposed to say that's a wrap or something? That's a wrap. (laughs) That was so good, Gary. That was awesome. Uh, That was a lot of time. Thank you so much. Thank you. One thing I didn't
2: say, I thought about throwing it in, but make sure you guys talk about it. When you talk about methodology, make the difference between interview the demons technique, which is so common. We don't interview demons and see Mm -hmm. so many deliverance things. I get the name, attachments, point of origin, associates, that kind of stuff. And many people teach that as a way of deliverance. And Jesus...